This is Taking Care in Business, a podcast that dives into the topic of corporate social responsibility from many different perspectives. Host Kathy Pedrotti Hayes is an expert in CSR and philanthropic giving, and her co-host, Vicki Bolson, is the founder and CEO of Bolson Group, a unified marketing company that was also the first B Corp certified company in Indiana. Kathy and Vicki became friends and equally passionate about CSR when they first worked together several years ago. Join them as they talk about why it is always worthwhile to take care in business. Hey, Vicki. Hey, how are you, Kathy? I'm doing great. Doing good. Great. How about you? I'm good. I'm good. I um I was doing something today, and I remembered that you had some kind of a social enterprise meeting. Um, I don't know, a week or so ago, and it reminded me, I need to ask you about that. Oh, yeah. No, it's really exciting. So the Social Enterprise Alliance is, for, is a national organization, and it's um, they have a developing chapter here in Indianapolis. And so it was a, it was a um, meeting, really, to talk about that. And what's really cool is that even since we've started doing this podcast a few years ago, there's... Um, so many developing resources for for you know uh, companies, businesses, individuals interested in either social enterprise or uh, corporate responsibility. We now have the Conscious Capitalism in Indianapolis chapter, and so it's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, definitely. There's a lot more resources than there were there were five years ago. Yes. Yeah. Well, one of the resources, which is a little bit different, but um, is somewhat related to our next guest. So uh, after working on more than 20 political campaigns and two highly respected nonprofits, Rich Harwood set out to create something entirely different. He founded what is now known as the Harwood Institute for Public Innovation in 1988, and he was just 27 years old. So soon after, he wrote the groundbreaking report, Citizen and Politics, A View from the Main Street. And listen to this. How timely is this? The first national study to uncover that Americans did not feel apathetic about politics, but instead held a deep sense of anger and disconnection. (laughs) Hmm. Yeah, fast forward, right? So over the past 30 years, uh, Rich has innovated and developed a new philosophy and practice of how communities can solve shared problems, create a culture of shared responsibility, and deepen people's civic faith. Um, The Harwood practice of turning outward has spread to all 50 U.S. states and is being used in 40 countries. So um, Rich's career, as he's invested his career in revitalizing the nation's hardest-hit communities, transforming the world's largest organizations and reconnecting institutions like newsrooms and schools to society. In fact, um, Rich did work in Newtown, Connecticut after the massacre at Sandy Hook Elementary School. He led the process for the community to collectively decide the fate of the school building. Mm. Um, You were not able to be on the pre-interview with Rich, but he is really inspiring. We we talked a lot longer than than our appointed time. Um, and I so enjoyed it. We have, like, follow-up conversations that need to happen. But <laughs> he's really inspiring. He's a sought-after speaker. Um, he regularly keynotes major conferences and events. And he's, you know, uh, a part of some major media outlets. He reports back. He's a well-known source. He also is an author. And he's got four books and recently rela- released his latest one called Stepping Forward, A Positive Practical Path to Transform Our Communities and our lives. Welcome. Wow. I know. Welcome, Rich. 
Hey, it's good to be with you. Thanks for having me. Yes. Well, I'm so excited to talk with you again. So we had such a wonderful um, discussion and had a lot of sort of commonalities and common interests. But I want to start by asking you, why is it important for a business to understand and connect with their community? Well, I think as all your listeners know, and as the two of you know well, I mean, first businesses make their home in communities, and it's really vitally important for um, for those communities to be healthy. They provide employee employees. They provide the environment in which um, the work takes place. Um, but I think, you know, in addition to that, I think it's really important for companies to be connected to their communities because there are so many challenges that so many people today, so many Americans, let's say, are facing that affect our business life, our economic life, our political life, and our civic life. Let's just take the challenge of the opioid crisis or of inadequate public schools uh, or of the issue of increasingly in America of loneliness. Mm -hmm. And if, you know, I believe, as I know you do, that that businesses, that companies, that corporations can be major engines of, uh, of change and progress in our society. And if they want to play that role, if they want to create greater social impact, if they really want to make a difference in the lives of people and the communities in which they operate, then it means that they're going to have to have a deep understanding of the people who live in those communities, including their employees, but not limited to their employees. It means that they're going to need to understand people's lived experiences about the uh, the environment in which uh, change can take place, about the capacities and readiness for change in those communities. We, you know, I can go on, and I know we'll come back to some of these, but but all of these things, each and all of these things, are really essential, I think, if companies want to play a productive role, a significant role, and importantly, a meaningful role in the lives of people in our communities and in our country. So doesn't data just tell us all that good stuff, Rich? <laughs> it tells us some of it, for sure. And there, there are some people in my field who don't like data, who believe that you know, the voice of community is the equivalent of the voice of God, in a sense. I'm not one of those individuals. I believe we need good data. Data can tell us a lot of things that are really critical. But I think we also need to understand the limitations of data. Um, you know, data can tell us that a school is underperforming, but it can't tell us why a mother with two kids, a single mom with two kids, may have lost hope in the education system in her community. It may not tell us why... Um, that mom and her two kids don't feel as though they can approach their school uh, to have the right kinds of conversations that would support her children. They don't tell us whether or not that mom and her two, her two kids have the type of social networks around them that would enable them um, to be supported, to get a leg up uh, on the American dream and on the promise of America. Um, it doesn't tell us whether or not um, different uh, nonprofits and faith institutions and other organizations, including uh, private sector companies, are prepared to engage in a shared responsibility uh, for ensuring that every kid can get a good can get a good education and pursue their God-given potential. So we need data, um, but we also need um, in-depth insights and deep knowledge about our communities, the way they work, the people who live in them. 
And we need to learn how to combine those two things to make better judgments and strategic decisions about uh, the levers of change that are available to us, which ones are the right ones in any given circumstance, and, um, and how we decide to, to, to take action um, and move forward together. So with the Harwood Institute, uh, I'm, I'm in, in hearing Kathy's intro, it sounds like you are a source a lot, you have books, you speak, but can the Harwood Institute, if you were brought in for the Newtown, Connecticut situation, um, it sounds like the Institute can be hired by yeah. organizations? Yeah, so most of our work, you know, you know, the thing I love, if I can say this, the thing I love so much about the work that we do, the work that I've been committed to now for over 30 years, I'm, o- I'm over 57, so we've been here for, for more than 30 years now. Um, the thing I love about our work is that we weren't sitting in a conference room just sort of dreaming up abstract ideas and theories about how things should work and how they could work. All of our work was developed in conjunction, in unison with people on the ground in communities clear across the U.S. and now increasingly around the world. And so it's, a, it's very much rooted in a philosophy, but it's also very much applied. And so um, we're doing work in local communities, helping to develop. We develop um, what we call public innovators. We teach people a practice of what we call being turned outward. Um, which is a mindset, first and foremost, and then a set of practices about how do you understand your context, um, how do you create strategies that fit that context, how do you create the right enabling environment, networks for innovation and learning, um, and for capacities for change, how do you think about the shared narratives of your communities, because as you know, so many of our communities, the thing that they're held back by is an ingrained negative narrative that change can't happen there. Mm-hmm. And there are practical ways that we can create new can-do narratives that reflect the best of us and the best in us, um, but they have to grow out of communities through our actions, through the things that we do together. So these are all things that we work with organizations, um, networks, communities, um, to help them shape their own futures and bring about um, their own change. And that work is, as I said, is taking place clear across the country right now. And we have we have lots and lots and lots of examples of where the work, through the through its use by people in communities, has produced transformative change, both in moving the needle on specific issues like education, and equally important in helping to really create a stronger, more can-do civic culture in a community where people have a greater sense of control over their future. Yeah, I'm just wondering. What the, what's the the point of entry? Because what you're talking about needing to happen and identifying that needs to happen, I, I, I totally get that. Mm. But then it really takes the collaboration of so many different partners and programs within a community to yeah. actually make a change like that. So I'm just wondering how you, what's the lead gen like for you? Yeah, yeah you know, it's really interesting. We're just finishing up a 30-year impact study now. And when we started it, uh, because there were different entry points for the work, sometimes it was a public library who came to us. Sometimes it was a community collaboration. Uh, sometimes it was an education system. Sometimes it was a foundation. So there were different, in some cases, there were different partners. Sometimes it was a company. There were different um, partners. And we thought that 
because there were different partners, the work would unfold in fundamentally different ways and produce fundamentally different results. And lo and behold, like a lot of good innovation, as we began to do this work, we realized while there might be different entry points, the work actually produced similar results no matter who started it. Mm. So that's number one. Number two, I think part of what you're asking, and tell me if I've got this right, is if you're in a community like Mobile, Alabama, where we were working on education transformation, um, or in Clark County, Kentucky, Eastern Kentucky now, we were working on a whole constellation of issues like the opioid crisis, kids who feel abandoned, religious leaders who are sowing division, a business community who has backed off um, public-private endeavors. Um, if you're asking in, let's say, those two places, what does it mean to really get started? Um, what we found, is that asking in part what you're asking? It totally, like, totally. Yeah, how do you get started? It seems so big and right. audacious, right, and, and overwhelming, I think. And so, and that's true for the folks, as you know, who live in these communities. They're like, holy smoke, we've been living with these challenges for years. How do we tackle them? They just seem so big and overwhelming and wicked. And so we start our work in these communities with what we call a two-and-a-half-day public innovator lab. It's usually anywhere from 50 to 100 people, different types of leaders from across different sectors. We have coaches who walk beside these folks over 18 months to 24 months. But here's even more importantly the answer to your question. I believe that most change starts small, that we too often try to create comprehensive change particularly in places and communities that are resistant to change, that have lost confidence and hope in themselves, where there's so much mistrust and acrimony and divisiveness. And so the solutions that we try to develop and implement, there isn't the capacity um, or the underlying conditions that create a readiness. And so a lot of our work is, how do you create that readiness? And what we found is, if you start small, you get people moving and doing things together. You get them producing things together. As they produce things, they gain a sense of confidence and hope. As that begins to happen, they begin to spread the practice throughout the community. As that begins to happen, there are more and more places where change is starting to bubble up. As that starts to happen, there's kind of an emergent trajectory that begins to take over, and the community begins to set itself on a new course. And if you don't believe this, last point I'll say about this, go to our website, theharwoodinstitute.org. There's a new report called One Step at a Time. And in two and a half short years, this community, Winchester and Clark County in eastern Kentucky, that had been stuck for decades, has created the most amount of change that I've seen in the 30 years of doing my work because they applied the practice in a way that made sense, and they got to work, and they started to create progress, and they began to believe in themselves again. And I think this is what we need to do in individual communities. I also believe it's what we need to do as a nation. Wow, that's super interesting. I was going to ask, what do you do when the community is really diverse? You know, um, mm -hmm. how do you find sort of that common ground? But it sounds like, you know, going in with the assessment that you're you're inclusive, you're including all the um, viewpoints and backgrounds of of the entire community yeah you know one of the i could tell you all sorts of sophisticated tests that we teach people about this but one of the so yes you're absolutely right and one of the things that we know in this in in the change that gets created through this work is that it often hinges in part 
on the reframing of the challenges of the community from technical, typically data-driven alone, professional-sounding uh, framing to something more public that matters to people. I can give you an example of this in a minute, but, but what happens is we teach people how to engage residents and leaders in the community, not about the problems that have stymied them, but about their shared aspirations for moving the community forward and the obstacles in reaching those shared aspirations. And these aspirations aren't a utopian vision either. You know, if you ever ask someone about their aspirations, they'll tell you something from their gut that matters to them, like that single mom with two kids. And they'll project out to what is actionable, doable, and achievable. Mm -hmm. And so when... So one of the things that we teach people, there are all sorts of sophisticated tests for this, but one is this, which is uh, which I really like, which is after you engage people in your community around these conversations, if I brought 300 people together into a, into a big room that you didn't know who represented the diversity that you were just asking about, and I asked you to go to the center of the room and stand up on a table in the middle of the room, and you weren't allowed to talk about your programs, your strategies, your data, your budgets, how many staff people you have, none of that stuff. But the only thing you were allowed to do was to reflect back to people in that room their shared aspirations. The only thing you were able to reflect back to them is their concerns in reaching those shared aspirations, about who they trust to help them meet those shared aspirations, about what would be signs of progress to them that we haven't solved everything but we're moving in the right direction. Could you do it? And that's the test I think we need to be able to meet in our communities, not um, and not not be afraid of the diversity, the increasing diversity in our society, but embrace it, and to be able to do this, um, reflecting the true diversity of our community. And again, I say this not because I believe it's important, not because I read it in a book, not because. I think we should do this. I, I, I say this because I've seen so many communities do it, and it's propelled them forward in so many positive ways. What if, um, what if a community, like a, with a corporation, what if they're multinational? And so your community is, because is, I know you're in 40 countries, mm-hmm. if you're not truly in the same community. How, how does that translate? Well, I think, uh, as you know well, for a company like that, which we've worked with, they are uh, oftentimes operating within, right, if they're multinational, they're operating within different countries. Mm -hmm. And so they're still connected either to communities or regions or or a state or the entire country um, in ways that will vary from place, from country to country or even place to place within a country. And so we've applied these very same principles. The, the, the other thing I really like about our work, if I can say this, is it scales up from the neighborhood level mm-hmm. to the city level to the state level. We've done this nationally, and then we've done this across countries. Mm-hmm. And the same, you know, obviously you apply them a little differently, but the same principles apply, and the same principles can be taught to people in different countries um, with some variation and sensitivity to culture. Sure. So there are folks teaching this work to people in China right now, Australia, Sri Lanka, Kenya, um, as well as the, the U.S. and other Commonwealth countries. Um, so what was the inspiration for Stepping Forward, your book, your latest book, I should say? 
Well, you know, I'd been working on these issues for a long time and, and wanted to write about them. So I think I wanted to bring them together in a way that I hadn't before. So that's that's one thing. One of the things after 30 years, we're spending a lot of time pulling our ideas together in more cogent ways so more people can have more access to them and adopt them and adapt them for their own use. So that's really important. And and if I can just parenthetically say, you know, we're not consultants, right? We're a nonprofit. Our public mission is to strengthen society so that um, people can better shape it um, in ways that make sense both for themselves and collectively for ourselves. And so the book came out of that sort of impetus. The other thing, though, as as you all, as you know, and your listeners know, is particularly in America, in the U.S., we've hit enormously difficult times. They didn't just happen overnight. They've been emerging for, I've been tracking them for 30 years. We've been on a certain trajectory. Um, they were predictable what's happened. Um, and so now we're stuck. We're stuck um, in a country where people believe their dignity doesn't count, where they've lost hope in many cases, where they believe community is not a common enterprise. It's for some of us, but not for all of us. And I wanted to write a book that said we don't have to accept what's happening in the country, that by stepping forward we have the power within ourselves and individually and collectively to get on a better path, uh, to bring out the best in us and the best of us, um, and to create a more hopeful, inclusive society. And so the book goes through, um, both philosophically and in practical terms, what is it going to take for us to get on that more hopeful, more inclusive path? And it's filled with stories of, of things that I've encountered um, in the work. Um, it's filled with lots of examples, um, and it's also filled with lots of personal reflections about what, I, what I've learned and made of, of the work over the last 30 years. Wow, it sounds really inspiring. I, I I look forward to looking into stepping forward for sure, and I think our listeners would would like it as well. And uh, if you go to our Instagram page, you can um, learn how it is that you can register or win a copy of the book. So, wow, I'm just I'm I'm really my mind is just spinning with with thoughts about the things that you shared with us. Um, really inspiring work that you do. So congratulations. And thank you so much for joining us. Do you have something, Kathy? Oh, just a, our last wrap-up question, I guess, Rich. What, yeah, advice, yeah, yeah. what advice would you give to uh, uh, an institution, an organization, a, a business um, that, that was interested in sort of um, becoming more connected with their communities? Well, I think first it's to well, as you were asking before, I hope they call us. But but short of that, <laughs> right? Right. Short of problem that, solved. Yeah. Problem solved. No, but more importantly, I think much more importantly, I think first of all, I would say to the leaders of that organization, let's say a company, first look look in a mirror or look within yourself about what do you think is really important in the life of our society and the life of the communities in which you may operate. And are you committed to making the community, obviously your shareholders are important, your your profits are important, your bottom line, um, your operations are critical. But in addition to all those things, are you willing to also make the community the reference point for how you operate in society in a larger way? Because that's 
that's the context, the larger context in which you operate. So that's number one. Number two, if you answer yes to that, which I hope you do, um, then I would ask you to think about, are you really interested in social impact? Are you interested in social responsibility? Do you believe that there can be more than one bottom line in your business? And that if the answer to that is those questions is yes, then I would say, then that means you need a deep understanding of the community or communities in which you operate about people's lived experiences, their shared aspirations. And if you're interested in helping, not taking full responsibility, but helping your communities act on those things, then I would ask you another question, which is, are you prepared to fully understand the context of that community, um, its capacities, its enabling environment, its readiness for change? Because we need to develop solutions and strategies that fit the context of the places in which we're working both to be effective and significant in people's lives, and also, I think, what's really critical, especially now in America, because so many people are living with false hope and cynicism and skepticism, and we need to demonstrate that we actually can come together and get things done. And then lastly, what I would ask you to think about is this. When you've succeeded, because you will succeed, no matter how large or small your success is, are you willing to tell a different story about how you got there? Not one that is driven by a public relations firm from some faraway place that's going to try to potentially hype the solutions and hype the success, but instead tell a story, a real story of meaning and purpose where people actually came together to work together, where people took one step forward and then another step forward and maybe fell down and got back up and then kept going where we didn't necessarily solve the problem, but we made a dent in it and made some progress. And are you willing to tell that story? Because when you tell that story, people can begin to see themselves and imagine themselves as doers again, as co-creators again, as part, of, as part of something larger than themselves again. And that would be an incredible role for a company to help play in a community. So those would be my starting points. And, uh, and I know there are companies that are doing this. I, I hope that there are many more companies that choose to do this because in our society, particularly in our society that's rooted in capitalism, which I believe in, we need companies to step up and be partners in helping to shape a more positive, productive future for everyone in our communities. Amen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Great advice, Rich. Yeah. Um, if people want to reach out to you or the Harwood Institute, how can they get more information? So we have a website, theharwoodinstitute.org. Um, on the website, there's uh, uh, an email that you can you can shoot us, and, and we will get back to you in a day. Um, or if people want a more direct way, we welcome phone calls, and they can literally call us at, uh, at I feel like I'm on a telethon now, but they can literally, <laughs> they can literally call us at uh, 301-656-3669, and we'd, we'd love to get their call. Rich, delightful to be with you again. Thank you so much for the, the work that you do and for taking some time out to um, talk to our listeners today. Well, thanks so much for inviting me, to be honest. It's, it's been wonderful. So, Kathy, this is one of my favorite parts of the of the episode when we get to um, talk about our Taking Care and Community nominee. Right. I know. I love this, too. I know. Um, and today uh, it's brought to you um, the Down Syndrome Indiana would like to nominate their volunteer by the name of Heather Gregg. 
Okay. Yeah. Do yeah. you know this organization at uh, all? I do. I yeah. Do. Yeah. It's, um, I've heard of it. Um, I'm just going to read a little excerpt about sure. Heather because I think it's really special. They say that their volunteer, Heather Gregg, has volunteered with Down Syndrome Indiana to create the Lucky Mama Project. The mission of the Lucky Mama Project is to provide personalized support to mothers of a new baby with Down Syndrome or a prenatal diagnosis of Down Syndrome. And it goes on to talk about um, how it was, um, you know, she has a, a personal, um, you know, uh, affinity to this mm-hmm. uh, Lucky Mama project because of her her own child. And she hopes that um, by sharing this information with others, that um, moms with babies with Down syndrome or who are carrying a baby sure. with Down syndrome will have a more positive experience. I think that's... I think that's so cool. Yeah. yeah. My, um, my cousin, who doesn't live locally, but um, has a child with Down syndrome. And I know that um, the peer support that she's received through a similar organization there mm-hmm. in St. Louis, I think has been really beneficial. So that's mm-hmm. really cool. Yeah. I mean, everybody could use a village for whatever they're dealing with, but um, this is great. So um, brought to you by the National Bank of Indianapolis, we'd like to uh, give accolades to Heather Gregg, who volunteers with the Down Syndrome Indiana office. Let's give a big thank you to our sound engineer, Matt Sosi, and our Taking Care and Community sponsor, National Bank of Indianapolis. If you'd like to nominate someone or an organization for a future episode, you can visit our website, takingcareinbusiness.com. Don't forget to subscribe, follow, or download Taking Care in Business wherever you get our podcasts. If you love Taking Care in Business, give us a five-star rating and leave a review or share this episode on your social media. We are on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Taking Care in Biz, B-I-Z. If you have questions or comments, you can also email us at info at takingcareinbusiness.com. Thank you for joining us today, and until next time, Take Take care care in in business. business.